0: Three, two, one, liftoff.
1: Welcome to the Ketamine Startup Podcast. This is where we talk about anything and everything related to ketamine clinics, startups, marketing. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Leslie Koenig while we were attending the annual meeting of the American Society of Ketamine Physicians, Psychotherapists, and Practitioners in Austin, Texas. Leslie Koenig is a board-certified emergency physician based out of Nebraska in Omaha, who is a Navy combat veteran. We're gonna talk a lot about ketamine, about her clinic, Weybridge. So please stay tuned and you can hear more about Dr. Koenig. So welcome to the Ketamine Startup Podcast. We are here with Leslie Koenig, who is um, an amazing emergency physician, former Navy combat veteran, and who has her own ketamine clinic amongst other uh, clinical activities as she does. So first off, Leslie, can you just share with us for our listeners and viewers a little bit about you and your background?
0: Sure, well, um, you know, Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm very excited to be here and share. So my background is that I'm an emergency physician and uh, I uh, have a clinic in Omaha, Nebraska. We was re- recently opened. And so I'm excited to be able to offer this uh, more and more to our patients as we expand and grow. Awesome. So, yeah.
1: And tell us about, so um, Leslie, can you share a little bit about your journey from being maybe a traditional healthcare provider to becoming the owner of a ketamine infusion clinic?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Traditionally in medicine, I think we're taught uh, just go to a hospital, work like you were taught in med school, do your residency and just nose the grindstone until you retire. (laughs) And so my journey into uh, becoming an entrepreneur and opening my own business, um, kind of really, I I got interested in integrative medicine first Mm -hmm. actually, just feeling like I was being very reactive in my medical practice. And though I love emergency medicine and the immediate gratification, I just knew there was more out there that was what I was capable of doing. And I started looking into integrative medicine, which I am now doing a fellowship in. However, along the way, an old buddy approached me to do a ketamine clinic. And that was, um. once I heard that concept, I just thought, wow, why would I not do that? So The path was a little, you know, I thought I was going to go one way. And then I heard about ketamine and what it was possible to do. And I felt like that led me in a completely different direction, which I'm so grateful for.
1: Yeah. And it's really interesting because your background is in emergency medicine. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how did you even go down this integrative fellowship and pathway? Because that's a bit different than traditional medicine.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, so when I was in the Navy, I learned about acupuncture, which I was completely... I didn't believe in it whatsoever and then um i think my first really foray into oh there's more in the world out mm. there than what i was taught in western medicine was i was um doing a trip to south america to do uh, a month in bolivia and along the way i picked up a stomach bug came back with stomach pain and the antibiotics treated it but i still had this pain mm. and a residency buddy of mine um did acupuncture and i didn't believe in it but i was just like dude can you just you know you have the yeah the needles can you just try something because of course motrin's not working tylenol's not working i've took, I took taken antibiotics but it still just hurts um, he gave me the acupuncture and at first i didn't feel anything didn't believe in it i was like oh okay thanks and then i actually noticed in the next few hours how much better i felt and so that opened my mind up to there's more in the world than what we've tr- traditionally been taught and it expanded my mind to find out things for myself and uh, what, and then I once I actually found out more research and data, it was just it was just amazing the whole world out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I found out about ketamine, I had heard a little bit about it, but once I actually looked at the research and data, it um, it was just astounding to me. Totally. So then I just once you start opening your mind, it just it just doesn't stop.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's that quote like a mind expanded to a new dimension can never go back to its original shape. Yeah. So yeah, yeah definitely mind expanding. And because you are in the emergency department, you're probably familiar with ketamine in a different way because, you know, I used to use it when I worked in the ER all the time for yeah. procedural sedation and intubation. and. You know little kids with broken bones and laceration repairs. so yeah. you're pretty familiar with it in a way in a different way of course
0: yeah 100 percent. i mean i use it for um all kinds of procedural sedations in the er and p from pediatrics to you know uh, asthmatic intubations mm-hmm. uh you know really selectively for that but then i additionally used it when i was in afghanistan for combat traumas so, and, and I mean, of course, ketamine is wonderful on the battlefield. So I was familiar with it from that standpoint, just because if I gave a patient ketamine before loading up on, before loading them up onto the army dust off, I wouldn't worry about them, you know, losing respirations mm-hmm. or their blood pressure dropping because sometimes these patients had tourniquets on them and, you know, I was in charge of the walking blood bank. So I was giving them boatloads of blood and it was just one less thing to worry about because ketamine is just so safe. You can give it IM in a kinetic environment like that and um, not worry so it's just such a safe amazing medication so yes there was some familiarity with it and then actually in the navy we used um, a low dose protocol for pain in the ear wow so i introduced that to my civilian hospital and found great benefit there for patients who had already tried IV opiate, no amount of Dilaudid is helping. And then I would do this low dose ketamine protocol in the ER and found benefit. That's so,
1: wonderful. Yeah. yeah, it's really useful to be able to use it for in the low dose setting in the ER. I know you've been open in your clinic now for several months now, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the most unexpected challenges that you faced when you were setting up your practice?
0: I think the hardest part was really committing to doing it. Mm-hmm. The fear mindset that I had to overcome myself. It was just once the decision was made, it felt like this is the right thing to do. So it was really the hardest part was knowing, am I capable or not? Is this what I wanna do? And also the fear mindset of um, what will people think? And overcoming that idea that someone somewhere that I don't know might judge me. Mm -hmm. And really opening up to that it doesn't matter because I need to think about my patients first. And that's who I'm truly, need to have my integrity for. And I knew this could help based on everything that I had seen and experienced.
1: And that's really powerful because in medicine, it is very slow to change. And sometimes we are hypercritical of our colleagues, especially if they're doing something brand new and novel. Like I remember hearing the story about um, Dr. Semmelweis, who was the first proponent of handwashing back in the 1800s. Yeah. And everyone was like, this guy is insane. Don't wash your hands. You don't need to do this. And he was trying to convince his colleagues like, Hey, we need to wash our hands before we, um, deliver these moms. And he showed them the data, he showed them the evidence, but still for like 50 years, I don't think anyone you know, adopted that practice, which of course today is now very commonplace.
0: Yeah. That, uh, today an earlier presenter said, um, Max Planck said science changes one funeral at a time. Yes. And if you think about it, how many patients or how many people need to die before people figure out that oh suicidality drops with ketamine right you know and how many people need to suffer decades of low quality of life with depression before Mm -hmm. we figure out we can fix you or at least substantially reduce your symptoms within weeks with ketamine
1: totally totally and i remember i know you're really passionate about veterans i mean being a veteran yourself and i remember hearing some statistic i think it's like 50 veterans die by suicide per day something wild and i was just like more than 22. It blew my mind Mm -hmm. on how prevalent this is so ketamine can definitely be you know one component of that treatment modality
0: yeah absolutely and i am very passionate about it i have lost uh prior service member friends to suicide Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating to know now yeah i wish i was doing then and knew then what I know now, yeah. but I can't change the past. I can simply educate now, move forward, and be a resource for people, for veterans, for my community, yeah. so that they know of this option and how life-saving it can truly be.
1: Totally, totally. Um, thank you for sharing that and, and you know being vulnerable. I'm curious, just to shift gears, what are some of the nuances between administering ketamine in either the combat setting or ER, ED department versus like when you're doing it in your practice and mm-hmm. it's in Omaha, correct? Or yeah. Yes. Yes. It's correct. Omaha. So tell yes. me like kind of the nuances between yeah. that style versus in the different you know, hospital setting.
0: Yeah. I would say that it's almost entirely different. <laughs> <laughs> it's a completely different, uh-huh. there's not even a nuance. It's like, um, well, for example, I, in the ER, when I have done this, in the er it's in that loud clinical setting lots of beeping no preparation people haven't even heard about it until i've presented it about five minutes prior and gosh and then they're sitting in a hospital bed with a nurse and they're in a gown and it's like 2 a.m and i I don't know it's just that clinical setting Mm -hmm. um with you know you know other patients screaming down the hallway there's no set in setting But in the clinic, we've um, created an entirely different atmosphere. I've prepared people by sending them um, meditations to do prior, you know, what to expect with your ketamine sessions when they enter the clinic. um, It's a very welcoming environment. We've made it very serene. Um, We have blankets, we have eye masks, headphones with music, and very non-invasive monitoring as well. So again, it's not even nuanced. It's it's a completely different experience.
1: Wow, that sounds amazing. I mean, we do know that ketamine, um, the set and setting will impact the experience tremendously. And if there's a patient in bed number nine screaming because there's (laughs) something going on versus hey, in a calm, serene, tranquil environment with the music and eye shades and just a good vibe. Like I think that plays a really crucial role in the experience for Because ketamine can create these non ordinary states of consciousness, so I love how you highlight and bring that in, Leslie. As your clinic has grown and developed, what strategies or approaches have you found to be the most impactful for its success?
0: Well, that's a great question. As we grow and expand, the most impactful I'd say coming alongside our patients, uh, having the healthcare team collaborate around them, Mm -hmm. and our our clinic is growing primarily because we just take care of our patients so they get that word of mouth other things that have helped with being the most successful is just always keeping just a high standard of care i think and then as since it's my clinic i have control right and so it's wonderful that I get to be my own boss in that way. And when I see an issue, I can immediately take action to resolve it. Should there be one, for example, um, we had a patient who got agitated and hit the call button, but I was in the room with another patient and my clinic coordinator was there, didn't hear it. So we just were able to add an extra uh, layer of security with nice. another, with a lateral alarm system in the back as well. Mm-hmm. So just little things like that where I don't have to, you know, and, and then the hospital would have been a very different thing. Oh, to totally.
1: <laughs> I I I mean when I used to be the associate director of a uh, EER and I was like I want to add a chair to the physician space and they I had to go through a committee and it, it took 3 months to just order uh, an extra chair versus when we own the clinic
0: mm-hmm. we can
1: actually make and implement these changes immediately. Yeah. Let's see, so I'm curious based upon your experience and this is kind of like for people who are thinking about opening up a ketamine clinic or, you know, kind of there's a seed planted. What's one piece of advice that you would offer to any clinician looking to open up their own practice, specializing in ketamine infusion? What would that one piece of advice be Uh, from you? Wisdom there.
0: I think the key piece of advice that I would give someone looking to open their ketamine clinic is what is your intention? Mm -hmm. And to know truly deep down why for you, are you doing it? um for me it was something that i realized i was good at very capable of doing and i truly was already searching for something like this and it was just this perfect uh marriage when the of academy clinic came my way because i've always had an interest in mental health and um i've always loved treating it in the er mm-hmm. so i would say that is a very something that someone needs to deeply look at yeah. before deciding to open it
1: I love that because, I mean, it's hard opening up a ketamine clinic or it can be, and there's a lot of challenges, but if we don't have that, why am I doing this? What's my intention? What's my goal? A lot of times we'll just say, I don't really want to do it. I don't really care versus someone who has the internal motivation and a Mm -hmm. true Purpose, mission, desire they will be able to work through those.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's definitely hard days where I've had to go back to that and just because I—I always knew deep down, deep down, this is what I had to do. This mm-hmm. is what I needed to do, yeah. and I knew that at a visceral level. Wow. So that's that was really helped me through the hard days.
1: I love it. I get—I'm yeah. getting shivers down <laughs> my back as you're talking about this, Leslie. Since you began this journey, in what ways have you noticed your personal mindset or outlook, perspective change or evolve? Can you share any like personal growth moments where you're like, okay, I'm growing and Mm. my perspective is changing?
0: Sure, Uh, let's see. So many ways have changed. Uh, I mean, you know, as an ER doctor, how many thank yous do we get in the ER? (laughs) I mean, I can probably count on one hand how many thank you letters I've gotten in the last 15 years. And yet in the ER, sorry, and then in my clinic, I've gotten so many just Mm -hmm. right from the start. Wow. So it's it's just personally fulfilling to see directly uh, how I can impact lives. So that's, you know, very um fulfilling as a physician nice. but then personally I've been invited to do more talks about it where I can speak more on what it's been like and I can share my personal story and kind of look back on my career and say I've I've have had these successes and I have put my education and knowledge and the um entrepreneurial mindset towards something good for people so knowing that I am capable of doing it and changing my community, right? In uh, for the better, really. And again, I, you may hear it, it's hard to find words when you find yourself so deeply changed by recognizing what a force for good you're doing in your life.
1: Now, I, I love this. It reminds me of the concept of ikigai of yeah. finding your purpose, finding your mission, how everything is aligning with the time and your specific unique skill set and what the community needs. It seems like a perfect perfect storm in a way to do what you're doing and now a quick word for our aspiring ketamine clinic founders out there if you've tuned into our episode today chances are you're curious about the ins and outs of starting up a ketamine clinic it's an exciting field but let's face it the journey from idea to actually opening day can be quite daunting that's why we've created something special for you think of it as your personal roadmap A free downloadable checklist that lays out the essential steps you need to consider when starting up your own ketamine clinic. This checklist is designed to help you avoid common pitfalls and launch your trajectory to success. So how can you get your hands on this checklist? Simple. Just visit www.ketaminestartup.com forward slash checklist and grab your free copy today. We've made it easy and accessible because we believe in supporting our community with valuable resources startup.com forward slash checklist. All right, let's get back to our discussion. Stay tuned and don't forget to download your free checklist during or after the podcast. So I would love to hear a story or an experience from your clinic that um, kind of reflects and epitomizes your approach to patient care. So maybe there's a, you know, one patient you can think of or someone who's like, wow, we were able to really use our unique style at the clinic to help them and support them for their healing?
0: Oh, man, that's a tough question. That just gets down to how my clinic has differentiated our care towards patients. Well, we're the only one in our region that does that, but I feel like I just put my entire self Mm -hmm. into every encounter. So I bring my integrative mindset. I bring the alternative approaches. For example, one thing that we do is aromatherapy and patients may not understand why they may be like, Oh, lavender. No, I don't need that. And I tell them, well, it's not just rheumatherapy, but it's also practical where I understand that control mindset and you want to know what's happening when it's happening. And so I have, you know, the thing is I know from the ER, many patients come in feeling like they have a loss of control and how can we give agency back to each patient Mm -hmm. through their treatment? So I let them, I have like this array of essential oils. And so they get to pick one and, um, then they get to smell that as they go in, which goes into my meditation that I teach them, or it's prerecorded. And so that's the first thing they settle into with every treatment. So for me, it's kind of encompassing meditation. It's encompassing mm-hmm. the aromatherapy. And, you know, as they smell the essential oil, the minute it gets stronger, because they're they become more sensitized to it that's how you know the ketamine is really starting uh, to take effect so it almost it's almost one more little guidepost for right. them so not only are they focusing on a meditation that i'm doing but they're able to breathe in the aromatherapy realize this is getting strong set it down and just mm-hmm. again it's another guidepost another way to ease them into it with some agency um and just little things like that we have all kinds of little things like that that we do for each patient that I I haven't heard anybody else do, but it's just because of my core value of putting the patient at the center of our care with that compassion mindset and really being um, detailed and intentional about every facet. I love that.
1: I love that. And I remember in med school, in my neurology course, we learned that the sense of smell is the only one that bypasses the thalamus, which is like the secretary of the brain. And so using the sense of smell, especially during the ketamine therapy can be really powerful. And I'm in California, so we're woo-woo based and we're totally cool with aromatherapy, but um, I love how you incorporate that because the different essential oils can trigger different things. And like, I mean, I'm sure we've all had an experience where you smell that cologne or perfume and it reminds you of the trip to Italy or Spain or whatever. It can just trigger a whole host of emotions. So leveraging that can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know personally that juggling running a business, operating a clinic taking care of patients family kids so what are you doing to balance all of this and how are you juggling all the different hats you wear
0: oh that's a great question and and i never would have anticipated this but my i feel like my spiritual practice
1: has Mm -hmm. gotten deeper
0: as i've opened this clinic and i think that's just because that was an area of my life that i had neglected for so long being in the er and so i've really surrounded myself with a spiritual community uh, so that I can, I don't know, some of these things come up that are just amazing to me, you know, like what I get to do for these patients and how soul filling it is. Yeah. Um, And so for me, that's been a wonderful uh, way to, I don't know, open up a new side personally. I love it. Uh, so re- to really connect with that as I'm helping others connect spiritually to themselves. It's funny how I end up doing the same thing.
1: Wow. Yeah. So as you're healing and supporting these patients of yours, um, it's also in a way like healing yourself.
0: Absolutely. And
1: it reminds me of um, this classic archetype that Carl Jung talks about, the the wounded healer, Mm. whereby the healer, um, by supporting and healing other people that they're able to process and heal themselves in the whole journey for both the patient and the clinician providing it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. and i it's I never would have expected that, yeah, but it's you know as you do into others, mm-hmm. so you do into yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and so' it's, as I'm healing others, I feel like I'm getting to heal myself, yeah, so you know, and that's where um it's helped me find that balance between being the business owner, of the family mm-hmm. um and uh, solo independently, going off on of meditation retreats and yes. solo hikes and things like that. yeah, you know the yeah. books I'm reading, um, that's so, awesome. Yeah. so
1: self-care but also juggling uh, many things that spiritual component is really, really crucial. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have a few questions, kind of rapid fire. And um, let's see. So the first question, and I love podcasts, so I'm just going to steal a couple of these questions, but what uh, book have you gifted the most to others? You're like, man, I love this book. and I'm going to give it for the holidays or birthday presents. And you may have heard this question before too, Leslie.
0: Well, it's because I actually have a specific one in mind. Uh It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I literally give it out. I I used to have copies at work Uh and I would give it out constantly. And I I think it's just because of that mindset of the Mm -hmm. employee, the employee, where you just go to work, earn your paycheck, put away retirement and savings, and then die. And, you know, I just, you know, once you open your mind to there's other possibilities, you can be a business owner, you can, you know, look into a passive income, you can look into completely other ways to use your money to work for sure. you to be with your family more instead of always just go into R to get an extra couple hundred dollars. Right? right. Um, so I actually literally give that book Rich. to anybody who talks about investing real estate, business ownership. Just it's a great book.
1: And what's funny <laughs> is I read that book, uh, it's by Robert Kiyosaki. I mm-hmm. think I read it in 2000 or 2001 and they actually had a game associated with it, cash flow. And I remember playing that game in college with my friends who was they were into like real estate and business. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't my major, but I had some friends in that department and so we would play cash flow and like, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to buy this stock and buy this piece of property or buy this doodad. If you remember the doodad, I'm going to buy a boat or something, right? right? All right. So another question is, okay, let's say that you cannot be a physician, but you have to do some career. What do you think you would choose to do
0: Can I say professional hiker? I just want to. (laughs) I would like be a gear tester for backpacks and shoes, and just go hiking around the world. You know, just go find me on the PCT or find me in Italy on the Dolomites or circling Mont Blanc. I don't know.
1: That's (laughs) and and you know what's funny about that is um, I'm sure someone right you know is on YouTube being a professional hiker and doing exactly that. Oh, I followed. Yeah. Okay. If
0: you're a professional YouTuber hiker, I've I've probably seen your video.
1: (laughs) I love it. Um, let's see here. Uh, another rapid fire question is, what is um, something that you purchased in the past one year for, let's say, I don't know, a hundred dollars or less that has significantly impacted you, your, your family clinic? What's a small purchase that you've made that you're like, cool, I really enjoyed this. And as you're thinking, I'll give you an example mm. for me. Um, I, I probably bought it two years ago, three years ago, but during the pandemic, people were hoarding toilet paper. I don't know if you remember where they were hoarding it. And so I bought a bidet oh. and it was, it's a non-electric one. It just connects. It's literally just changing out the toilet seat. And um, I love the bidet. It's so embarrassing. I'm going to admit it, but I think it cost 50 bucks, 60 bucks on Amazon. I installed it myself. And for me, it's been a game changer, but yeah. Is there anything that's coming up for you?
0: That's fantastic. I love that. I actually got one for my husband a couple of years ago. Okay and he thought I was crazy. And the thing is, it was on this Facebook group, and everyone recommended it. And so um, he at first kind of scoffed at it. And then now he told all his friends. So awesome. um, but that that again, was from my husband, although it is great. Um, honestly, the only thing coming to mind is blue light blocker glasses, which I kind of was like, I don't know. But it the truth is it uh, they actually work. Mm-hmm. I, I follow I get probably get like an extra hour to two of sleep a night. Totally. Um, yeah. Um, and oh, you know what? This aura ring changed my life. It Ooh. tracks my sleep, so I mean, it's not. Un- I think it was like a little more than a hundred dollars, but uh, it showed me how bad my sleep was as a nocturnist in the ER. Because what you don't, what you don't track, you don't understand. And I didn't track my sleep until this. And then when I saw that my sleep was this like terrible scatter plot that even a AI system couldn't figure out, mm-hmm. being a nocturnist. And then when I actually looked at my data. I was appalled and realized I needed to change my life. So that's probably a small little doodad.
1: I love it. Yeah, Yeah. the aura Ring is great. And I personally use the Fitbit Versa, which also Mm -hmm. tracks my sleep. And um, I think it's true. If you don't measure it, you can't change it. And what gets measured gets done. So I think that's really important. Um, Yeah. So I think a few more questions as we wrap up. So we're at the American Society of Ketamine Physicians, Psychotherapists, Practitioners, ASKP3, it's a mouthful (laughs) conference. And, um, you know, I'm curious, you've met a lot of people here and it seems like it's growing and there's a lot of interest in it. What do you personally think? Because you've been in it now and you've been studying the research. Like, What do you think the future is in this ketamine space from your perspective? The future
0: is huge. Uh, For ketamine and there are more things coming on the market, but I think that ketamine itself has such a wonderful place uh, in in society or in in medicine to create huge changes. And it's just the beginning. Yeah. We're just getting started. This is the frontier of medicine, the frontier of mental health. And even today, they were talking uh, here at ASKP3 about uh, the spiritual uh, epidemic of this, this spiritual crisis, where stress is the norm. Loss of sleep is the norm. Uh, people just watch TV and don't talk to their spouses or their kids. They're just connected to their phones and not to themselves inside. And ketamine hopefully can help return people to who they used to be. And getting ketamine out there um, in a much bigger way so people can understand themselves um, in a much more healthy way. Um, it's really exciting time to be a doctor.
1: Very cool. And as we wrap up, is there any um, last thoughts or comments that you wanna share with the audience, um, just if there's anything that we missed?
0: can't think of anything right now. You've done an amazing job and I'm excited for this podcast. You've done such great work with all of your social media, YouTube and the Ketamine Startup course, which is how we met. So I um, I just have to thank you really for all the work that you're doing and uh, for inviting me to to speak and share my story.
1: Thank you. And I couldn't have done it without my partner and wife, Kimberly, who's amazing and who's right now upstairs watching our three-year-old daughter. So she's super supportive and As a matter of fact, she's kind of the the lead on the podcast editing and we'll be making more. So one last question is, where can people find out more about you if they want to stay connected with you? Do you have a website? Do you have social media? Is there anything that people can connect with you on?
0: Yeah, thanks so much for asking. Uh, The clinic is called Waybridge Clinics. That is in Omaha, Nebraska. You can find that at Waybridgeclinics.com. I'm on Instagram, Leslie Koenig, MD, and Facebook, Leslie Koenig. LinkedIn, Um, yeah. I have a book, uh, Stress Relief Survival Guide on Amazon. Oh, and a YouTube course, (laughs) Awesome. that's free. Just just Google my name on YouTube and you can have all these resources free.
1: And what we'll do is we promise we'll put it in all the show notes. We'll put in um, some of the things we talked about, the link to your book and the online course, as well as the clinic's name. Um, And I also want to acknowledge that I pronounced your name incorrectly. It's Koenig. Um, it's probably cause my last name's Ko. And so I'm, I'm living in my own mindset in my own world of Ko, Koenig, but it's actually Koenig. So thank you for correcting
0: no, I think 90% me of people say it that way. Right. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you. Well, we will wrap up and call it a show.